We will take a majority of our lesson tonight from First Chronicles chapter 16. First Chronicles chapter 16. And uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit throughout Scripture, but tonight I hope to give us uh, a bit of a, uh, a picture here of, of one of Israel's greatest seasons and uh, led by um, an incomparable leader and um, in the glory of what he was able to do with them, taking them into that position with God. So let's look, if you will. Psalm 106:48 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And here's what I want you to notice. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. In this passage, we have the blessing of God in the earlier portion. And then we have a break, and it says, And let all the people say, Amen. And let all the people say, Amen. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, would you please, and verse 36. Very similar passage. Do you catch that? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Amen. I want us to take a moment here. Look into what is happening in this passage in verse 7. If you'll go to verse 7, please. And we will reference that. It says, then on that day. We have days that we mark, that we notate, that we remember, that we, we will not, we cannot, we refuse to forget because of its special connotation. A little bit before service, my wife and son came into my office and said, do you have a few moments, Pops? There's a little girl on the other side of the country that's about to open her birthday presents. And she wants you to be a part of watching that. And so we took time out of our schedule, interrupted a practice going on to watch our granddaughter opening her birthday presents. Why? Because seven years ago, something amazing came into our life. And it transformed what this day will mean for the rest of our days because of that bundle of love that came into our hearts, that came into our arms. And so when we, when we denote certain days, when we put them on the calendar, when we etch them in time, we are a currents. And here in the Holy Writ of God, all that could be placed upon the pages of Scripture, it tells us that on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. I, I love what the Amplified says about this passage. It says, on that day, David first entrusted to Asaph the singing of thanks. The singing of thanks. On that day, David first entrusted 
into the hand of Asaph and his brethren, the singing of thanks. We go back in time just a little bit. We find that David was a minstrel. He was a minister in song. He would be brought into the courts of the king. He would sing until the presence of God would so flood that place where, Paul, uh, where Saul inhabited that the evil spirit would be driven from that room and from his presence. David did not learn to sing in the king's palace, however, but he sang and he would praise wherever he was. We know that in the backside of the wilderness while he kept the sheep, he would commune with the Lord and he would fellowship. So that when the opportunity came that the king needed someone to minister in such a capacity, it was known among David's peers and he would be recommended because he was known to entertain the presence of the Lord. David would subsequently be anointed to be the king that would follow Saul. But we find that it would be at least a decade, if not two, before he would finally obtain the throne. Once he would do so, there would be years of conquest, battle, and bringing about the peace in the land until finally there was a season of incredible blessing. Woven into the tapestry of Israel's blessing, this season of their national pride and, and blessing is woven a, a season of worship. The Bible tells us that David considered where is the glory of God? In his blessing, in his own blessing, he desired to build God a house that would be opulent and worthy to be called the house of the Lord. Lord would let him know that it is not for you to build, but your son will build in your stead. But I will build you a house, David. And David would spend the rest of his life obtaining and preparing the materials and the resources necessary for this incredible edifice that would be built. He was not willing to wait until that day, but the Bible says he sent for the Ark of the Covenant that had been brought out of the house of the Philistines that had been left in obscurity. Getting it wrong the first time, they would make it right the second time. And this time, with great fanfare, would they bring the Ark of the Covenant home. And the Bible tells us that they would do so with this incredible celebration. They would stop, and they would sacrifice, and then they would move forward so many paces. And this was the approach that they would come into the gates of the city where David would sing that beautiful psalm, lift up your heads, open the gates, and let the King of glory come in. The Bible tells us that David was so violent in his emotion that he mortified his wife who watched his approach. And because he had made himself common, stripping himself of the royalty that he wore, dressing as the rest of the priest and becoming one in a sea of white as they twirled about in their dance, 
David rejoiced bringing the glory of God home. It is then we find that David transformed the duty of the Levites. He took the duty, uh, and duty to transport the furniture of God's house, but because that is no longer necessary, we find that David trained them and taught them to become worshipers as was he. Let me just say right here that worship is not necessarily automatic in, 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 its, uh, in, in, in the ways of which we worship. Amen. I believe that worship itself is a heart thing that comes out, but I believe that how worship happens, how worship happens is something that is often taught and caught. Amen. And so it is imperative that those of us that have seniority and age and just the fact that we have been around, amen, we have never reached a time of retirement where we can stop singing and stop leading in worship because there are generations that are coming behind us that need to learn not only the importance of worship, but they need how to worship demonstrated. Amen. And so we worship sometimes through our pain. We worship sometimes through our weariness. We worship sometimes through our fatigue. We worship sometimes through our problems and through the cloudiness of our mind. One, because we serve a God that is worthy. But also because there is a generation that is coming behind us that needs to learn to worship the Lord with everything that is within us. We see a generation that rose up behind David as worshipers and another generation that would follow that eventually his son, when the servants would go up to worship, the Bible says the queen of Sheba said, I'd heard of the glories of this kingdom, but it would not be until the people would go up and worship that she would then say, but the half has not been told. Worship can become just as generational as sin and problems can become. But it's got to start with someone who says, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I believe we serve him with gladness, and I believe we worship him in such a way. I wish we'd just take a moment and just dedicate this moment right now. Could we worship him all over this house? Could you lift your hands unto the Lord? Could you shout unto God right now? Could you make a joyful noise? Come on, there's some people in this house that have no clue what to do right now. It's time for someone to rise up that says, I will not allow a generation to come before the house of God that does not know how to clap their hands, that does not know how to raise their hands that does not know how to lift their voice amen but as long as there is life within me I will teach a generation how to become the worshipers that God desires come on church amen I have a responsibility not only to the God that I serve but to those who sit around me amen let us lead one another into a place of worship Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
So it is that David taught them to worship. He takes out of them the duty and the responsibility of being furniture movers, amen, under the, the, the leadership that they had of Moses, and now they will become leaders in worship. And, and, and we find that he assigned them instruments, and they began to, to, to praise him and worship him. Asaph, who would be one of the leaders of all of these musicians, was not beyond picking up the cymbals and standing. And, and sometimes, many times, for hours a day, would he clang the cymbals. Yes, he would eventually at some point become weary with well-doing as we are all admonished. Amen. Because it's natural and it's part of our nature. But the Bible tells us that he was faithful in his worship. Amen. And it is into the hands of this faithful man of whom it was said, On that day, David first entrusted Asaph to the singing of thanks. Amen. David understood with the running of the kingdom and all that was upon him that he could not worship the Lord alone. I wish somebody would hear me today. Amen. It is not up to the pastor. It is not up to the worship leader. It is not up to those who hold the microphones upon the stage. Amen. It is not up to one person or one group to worship or to do the worshiping for the congregation. David understood the only way we're going to get what God wants in this kingdom is I have got to transfer the song that God gave me into the people that God has called me to lead. Tonight I come before this congregation and I'm calling and challenging every person in this house. Uh, amen. They asked Peter, what should we do to be saved? He gave them the instruction on the day of Pentecost, repent of your sin, be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But can I tell you, it is not enough to be born again and then park on a pew and wait till Jesus comes. Because what we do today is more than just what we need and the minimum requirements for salvation. But I've come, amen, to let us know tonight that there is something that every person in this house is called to do, and that is to be a worshiper. Amen, 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 amen. When I read to you the opening passages of this scripture, Psalm 106 is words of instruction, and it says, amen, that we are to make sure that all the people say Amen. We are to ensure that all of the people praise ye the Lord. That is future tense. That is looking down the road. That is coming from a place of instruction. Amen. That we are not to be content until everyone has an amen in their heart and a praise in their hands. The beautiful thing about the passage in Chronicles is it's almost a mirror image of that of Psalms, but with one difference, and that is no longer are we talking about what should happen, 
No longer are we talking about that which is to happen, but the Bible says those who were told that they should praise the Lord and say amen. And it, then it says, and all. All the people said Amen and praised the Lord. What I'm trying to tell you, there's got to come a time when what we do is not just instruction and it's not just what we're supposed to do, but it becomes our song. David understood this in the transference uh, that he did with Asaph in the Bible. Uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the one that I have given you, this translation says, first, uh, this is the first occurrence where he entrusted, amen, the song of thanksgiving to Asaph. Uh, Asaph, I can't be here all the time. I cannot be here every day and every time, but I need you and your team to understand that we are entrusting your generation with a song, amen, that, that, uh, that, that is powerful, that is beautiful, that is effective, but it must be preserved. It must be sang despite the circumstance and the surrounding, the environment, the weather, or any other element. Amen. ASAP, we are trusting you with this song. I, I, I'm wise enough to understand that there are people here tonight in this house that are my elders, and you have trusted my generation with the songs that God gave you, and you taught us how to sing through some storms and trials and tribulations. We were at camp not too long ago, Brother Dale, sometime back, Somebody began to sing some songs. And I love new songs. And the Bible talks about singing unto the Lord a new song. And that has a particular meaning we might get to yet tonight. But there's also some songs that, that are classic that we have sang in times past. And those who were in front leading almost an eruption in that auditorium. And the person who was stood by me looked over at me and said, what? just happened in this place. And I watched uh, as a white-headed gentleman began to twirl about right down the middle of the aisle right beside us. Uh, and I considered the testimony of how God had healed him of cancer and done many miracles in his life. And I looked back to my friend and I said, they just switched over and they began to sing some songs just now that got some people through some trials, uh, through some tests uh, and some tribulations. There's songs I love to sing because they're fun. There's songs I love to listen to because they're cute. There's songs I like to listen to because they're entertaining. But there's some songs I like because they take you right to the presence of God. There's some songs that I lean back upon because they got me through some nights that I didn't know I could survive. They got me through some seasons I didn't know I could endure but like those of whom are written in the scripture and they sang a song when I didn't know what else to do. I lifted up my voice and I praised my way through some things. Let me tell somebody in this generation that's coming up under us, there's some things you're going to get through. You're not going to intellectualize your way through. You're not going to debate your way through. And you're not going to figure your way 
way out. But there's some things you're going to face. The only way you're going to come out of it is you're going to have to worship your way through the night. You're going to have to dance yourself out of that place. And you're going to have to sing through that dark, dark night. And that's why I've come to say there's some precious things that have been handed and transferred to my generation. But may I tell you, middle-agers, our job is not done just because we got our kids through school, just because they got a car that runs good, just because they got a job that's paying their own bills. But it's time for us to make sure that the song that we have has been entrusted into the hands of another generation. And I'm calling some of you up. I'm calling some of you up to a place of leadership. Oh, pastor, what office am I going to get? What title shall I receive? Let me tell you the greatest title you can get and the greatest office you can hold is not one into which you're voted, but it is to be a worshiper of the Most High God. And I'm calling you tonight to a purpose that is the highest of which you will have because there's only one thing, Brother Dale, that we're going to do on the other side that we can still do down here. The Bible tells us that we are to be wise and we are to be fishers of men. In other words, we are to reach the lost. But when it comes to the other side, we're not going to be reaching anybody because time will be no more. The Bible tells us to study the Word of God to show ourselves approved and that we are to teach. But on the other side, there will be no more teaching and no need for the Word because we will be in His presence. The Bible talks about healing and in this place of hurt, it is important that the church minister in the realm of healing. But on the other side, the Bible said there's going to be no tear and no pain and there's no need of a healer. But there's one thing we can do here that we will also do there and that is lift up our voice and sing unto the Lord a song. And I've got news for you. If we intend to do it on the other side, then we better get our harps off the willow and we better get a song back in our heart and we better put some dancing in our feet if we want to do it there we got to learn to do it here Come on, I wish somebody would take a trial run right now. I wish somebody lift up your voice right now. I wish somebody would call on the name of the Lord right now. Come on, mom and dad. Your kids are never going to worship if you sit still. Your grandkids aren't going to worship if you won't lead them. But somebody pick up the trumpet of Zion and lead a generation. Hallelujah. 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 He cut out of my son
on that day, David entrusted Asaph to singing the thanks. Another way that this passage is translated, you can use the word inaugurated. When a president is going through a position of inauguration, there's a challenge, there's a command, there's a charge given. There's a duty and a responsibility that is put upon him to preserve and to serve. Did you realize that? The president doesn't get to do whatever he wants to do. But he is charged with the service of the Constitution to protect it, to honor it, and to see it fulfilled in the nation that he is called to serve. The act of inauguration is one that puts somebody in charge of keeping the Constitution. In this place in which David entrusted the songs of thanksgiving to Asaph and his generation, they were charged with the keeping of the song. And this was the institution of regular worship of praise, which would be led by Asaph. This was an appointment. This was a commission. The Bible says, and on that day, David transferred the song to another generation. If we look at it, these next several verses from verse 7, where it says, on that day, David entrusted, down to verse 36 that I've already read to you, where the Bible says, after hearing this, that the people said, everybody said, amen, and the people praised the Lord. In verses 8 through 36, this passage appears to be compiled from three other passages. Amen. Verse chapter 96, verses 1 through 13 is an invitation of nations to recognize God's glory. Psalm 105, 1 through 15 is about Abraham's covenant with God to give him the promised land. In chapter 106, verses 47 through 48, is about keeping and deliverance. And David reached into this arsenal. He reached into this compilation, and he put it together to give them a charge, reaching back to their ancestry, taking them through times that were dark, but also letting them know that what they did wasn't for their own benefit only, but also that God had put them in the middle of nations that needed what they had and what they did could influence the people about them. Can I tell you that the song that God has given us is not only for our benefit going back to the roots of our beginning. It's not only about getting us through times that were dark and hard, but the song that God has given us has been powerful enough to influence nations. We've already referred to it, but when we look 
at the captors of Israel in their time of captivity. The Bible says when they required of us mirth, we replied, how can we sing the Lord's song? Seeing we are in a strange land. But notice if of the Jewish joy. There was something about it. The nations all around them understood these are a people of song and these are a people of worship. And so when they brought them into their land, they said, we'd like to hear the songs that you're so well known for. We'd like to see the joy that you're so well known for. We would like to see the demonstrative worship that you are so well known for but the people of God sat down by the rivers of Babylon and they wept and they hanged up their harps upon the willow. My first question would be are the people around us aware that we are supposed to be known as a people of joy? Does anybody even know that we are a people of demonstrative worship, not just because of our brand of Pentecostalism, but because we are people of the name and we have been given a song and we have been entrusted with the praises of the King. There ought to be something about it that we do not demonstrate our worship to put on a show for others, but God help us if we become like any other denomination or congregation that just sings two or three little hymns and goes through an ecumenical motion of pretense. But I think there ought to be joy in the songs of Zion. I think there ought to be rejoicing in the hearts of God's people. And I think there ought to be a shout that comes from within that we are known for all across this community. Amen. You've heard me tell that when the church attempted to build this building in this exact location that we received resistance from the community. And this neighborhood in particular was not at all interested in an apostolic church being in this neighborhood. People lived up and down these streets right here. People with, with, with good jobs and, and, and good reputations and they, they, they were calm and collected, and, 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 you know, this was the good side of the tracks, if I can say it like that. And, and they didn't want those crazy, fanatical, I'm talking about this is within our lifetime, folk. This is within our generation. They didn't want those crazy Pentecostals in this neighborhood. And so they fought this church for several years, uh, uh, blocking every attempt to get permits to build. Why, why were they so concerned? Was it about the building that we would put up? Would it be about the architecture clashing with the neighbor's houses? It was none of that. My mom went to see the doctor somewhere probably in the late 60s or right at around 70. She went to see Dr. James Anderson, and, and Dr. Anderson asked her, said, Jackie, I drove by your church building, a little building that sat on the corner in North and Franklin, a little stone building that sat there. The windows would crank open because they did not have air conditioning. Even in the middle of winter, it would get warm because of the exuberance of the worship within that room. Stone walls, stone floors, 
drywalled ceilings. That place was an echo chamber. And it was packed to the gills with people. And, and Dr. Anderson said, Jackie, I heard, I heard a voice that come out of that place as I sat there at that stop sign. And he said, I could not believe that was your calm, quiet husband. He roared like a lion and I'd never heard anything like it before. Are you sure? Was that really your husband? She said, that wouldn't have been anybody else that particular day. Yes, of course, that was my husband. What am I trying to tell you? This church uh, made an impact upon this city. I don't say that we show out and act out just to separate ourselves uh, in, in a particular style. But I say we also need uh, to let off of the brakes uh, and resist any holds uh, because of propriety's sake. There comes a point in time where we need to let God be God. And we need to, amen, let hallelujah be hallelujah. And we need to let amen be amen. There comes a point in time, whether it's crawling on our knees and weeping, or whether it's leaping to our feet with joy. But whatever the moment calls for, we do not quench the spirit, and we do not hesitate in our demonstration clap our hands unto the Lord I believe that we are a people that dance before the Lord with all of our might I believe that we are a people that leap before the Lord with joy and I believe in shouting unto the Lord with a voice of triumph I believe in letting everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord and that's beautiful because I'm certainly not always qualified in the sense of myself being particularly ready but on those times when guilt and shame whisper I know what you said and I know where you've been and you ain't got no right the Bible says let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord this is a place where the sinner can find him and fall at his feet praising him this is a place where the lost can find their song this is a place where the aching and the hurting can find a song in message a message in song that will sing them through their darkest hour God forbid that they find a church that sits in silence when they're looking for a place that is different a place that is full of joy so it falls upon the shoulders of us that are here to ensure that the singing of thanks that have been entrusted into us is carried to the next generation that is what David was telling Asaph we're not always going to be able to jump and leap like we did today, Asaph. But you and the generations that's coming behind you, we're trusting you with a song. We're trusting you with let me Let me tell some of our elders. Let me tell some of us. We, 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 we don't jump as high as we used to. We may not run as fast as we once did. We may not be able to leap like we once have. We may not even be able to sing with the same uh, vibrance that we once did. Amen. But there is something about it. What those who are coming after us need to see is not our ability and, 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 and it's not how high and hard we can go, but it's the faithfulness by which 
which we will not stop singing because there is a temptation to find ourselves in places that are strange where we're tempted to hang up the harp. And I've got news for you. If you think today is strange, if you think the current society in which we are is different to the point of consternation, God, I've never lived in a day like this. I've never seen a moment like this. I don't know if I can sing, you know, what we went through today and where we've been this week and what's happened to us this month. It's kind of deflated and it's kind of pulled the song out of my spirit. But I've got news for you, my friend, that we can never find ourselves in a place too strange, amen, to lift up our voice and sing the songs of Zion. The Bible says at midnight, at midnight, Paul and Silas, who were in a Philippian jail with their backs broken open and beaten down until their bodies had been pulverized. But the Bible says in this strangest of places, they began to pray and sing praises. And suddenly, 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 there was a response. Let me tell you something. I I think we need to remember that we can sing a man without any inspiration. We can sing simply because it's the right thing to do. And if the only time I can sing is when I'm inspired, I'm singing for the wrong reason. It's easy to sing when you feel like it, but I'm talking about singing when you don't. But if you will sing even if you don't feel like it, there's got a promise that he will come and find you where you are and the inspiration will find you even in your moment of desperation. So sing anyway. Sing when you're sick. Sing when you're discouraged. Sing when you're broke. Sing when you're alone. Sing when it's dark. Sing at all times and you will find that he will find you in that dark and strange place. Amen, 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 amen. This transference, this transference in this passage reveals to us something beautiful because all of the instruction and inspiration in the world would have been for naught if there had not been a reception. There had to be a reception and a response. Pastor can get up and get all red-faced and fired up tonight. But if those who are sitting here tonight and those who are listening online do not respond, do not receive, and do not receive the responsibility, we're not going to let the song die on our watch. We're, we're, we're going to receive the charge. We're going to take the challenge. And we're going to rise to the calling that you have put upon us. Amen. And, 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 and the generation responded. Why? How do we know that? Because, amen, first there was the instruction that you got to go let the people know that there's an amen in them and that they are to praise the Lord. But when we get down to the 36th verse and it says, And all the people said amen and praised the Lord. There's got to come something to where we make the song our own and we don't have to be pushed and we don't have to be nudged and we don't have to be pulled and we don't have to be prodded and we don't have to be encouraged. Amen. We don't have to have a service leader saying, come on, everybody, let's get with it. Thank God for those who get in front of us and lead every service that we sing and go into the songs of Zion. Amen. But if I can't close my eyes and worship God with the same, 
same amount of passion as I do just because somebody else is getting up before me and leading by example, then something is wrong with me. I need a trip to an altar. Can I just say it like that? I need a trip back to an altar. Amen. The Bible says we need to sometimes go back to our first love. What does that mean? We got to get back to where we remember what the Lord has done for us. When I think of His goodness and all He's done for me, when I think of His goodness and how He set me free, I got to dance. I got to sing. I got to shout. There comes a point in time we got to remember what God's done for me. You don't have to dance for me. You don't have to sing for me. You don't have to lead me into it. Why? Because I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. What would be wrong with us getting ready? Not just putting shoes, socks, and clothes upon our body, but getting our heart right, getting our spirit right, getting our heart ready to where when we come through the doors, you don't got to pray me through. You don't got to pray stuff out of me. But I got a song that I've been waiting to sing. I wish somebody would realize that we got a song that the angels can't sing. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. John 4 and 23 tells us of something. Jesus and his followers have went on a bypass. They've come to the well where the lady is at, embarrassed by her past and lifestyle. The Bible tells us they get into a discourse, Christ and her. And uh, she begins to pull her spiritual pedigree out not knowing who it is she's talking to. And the Lord kindly brings her back around and lets her know, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Listen to this. For the Father seeketh such. The Father Seeketh such. We are not worshipers because we worship. We worship because we're worshipers. That may seem to be semantics to somebody. But I don't have enough charm in me to be cute enough with the scripture to play little pivotal games with words. There's a power, important meaning in that. That if we are simply worshiping because it's the right thing to do and the right time to do, we have not become elevated to the place God wants to take us. Amen. We are not people who worship, men and women who worship. We are not Christians who worship. We are not apostolic and Pentecostals who worship. We are worshipers. It is our identity. He did not seek what? He sought who? The Lord has never lacked 
for worship. Hear me now. Hear me. Don't check out on me. He has never lacked for worship. He did not come seeking worship. Bible tells us in Psalm 148 alone, and I can tell you about the trees that would cry out in our place if we don't worship him. Psalm 148 tells us the heaven and the heights worship him, and that the angels and the host worship him, that the sun, the moons, and the stars worship him, that the waters above worship him. What I'm trying to tell you is that he does not lack worship, but that the creatures of the sea worship him, that fire, hail, snow, and mist worship him, that the stormy waters worship him, that the mountains and the hills worship him, that the fruit trees and all the cedars worship him, that all animals and crawling things and birds worship him. In other words, he is worshiped. Every area of creation worships him. He does not lack worship. Amen. Everything he has made recognizes his glory glory and exalts him he is not looking for worship because he has worship everywhere he looks but he is looking for those who are worshipers in their spirit and heart and that's why I want to be more than just a person who can turn worship on and turn it off depending on how I feel and what my circumstances are but I want to be a worshiper that wherever I am I can't help it because it's not what I do but it's who I am because I've been called and I've been commissioned you will have no higher position than that of a worshiper and you will have no greater calling than that of a worshiper so aspire and attain and study and dream and grow and become but you will never grow past your shout and you will never grow past your song and you will never grow past your dance and if you ever attain a level that causes you to leave those things behind, it is not of God. Would you stand with me all over this house? Now, I know. I know. We're all different. Our exuberance levels are on a scale. I know that our physical abilities dictate. When I was young and able, I was very mobile and physical in my worship and dancing. It's been many years since I've been able to do so. But I will again. I will again. I will again. I watched my father as spinal stenosis eroded the nerves in his back through the pinching off of his spinal column until he lost the use of his legs. My father was a worshiper. He was a dancer. I, I, I could spend the rest of the evening, I could talk you to sleep, regaling you of, of, of the passionate worship that I saw and beheld in the life of my father. I also watched as that man become disabled and unable to dance and leap and twirl as he once had. But I love the fact that I have the legacy that he lived before me and the example that convicts me to say when his feet stopped functioning, he transferred that motion into his hands 
and he danced with his arms and his hands as he had once with his feet because you can't take the dance out of a dancer. You can't take the song out of a worshiper. You can't take the praise out of a praiser. Amen, amen, amen. And God help us, those of us who have well bodies and, and capable uh, abilities, but, but we refuse to be moved and we refuse to be affected and we refuse, uh, amen, to lead out, amen, because the Bible lets us know that if we hold back our praise, that the rocks and the, and, and, and the, the things of this nature will cry out, the trees will cry out in our place. I got news for you, amen, no rock's going to cry out for me. No, no, no stone going to cry out of my place, no tree. I wonder if just in this moment right now, if the people of this house, if you would begin to exercise what we've heard, amen, the Bible says they heard the call of David to the people generation rose up and accepted it for themselves and the Bible says and they said let it be so amen we receive it and then the Bible says and they began to worship you know what would be awesome is without one instrument without one organ or piano without one string being strummed if something would happen all over this house if people would realize I don't need a drum beat to put my hands together I don't need a song leader to lift up my voice I wonder what would happen if some mothers and fathers would rise up before your children have they ever seen you move in the spirit have they ever seen you demonstrate do they even know what worship looks like amen that's where they're going to learn it don't make them learn it off of somebody else don't make them learn it off of somebody else but lead your home lead your family lead your children lead past your hang-ups lead past your issues lead past whatever it is that would keep you down. Amen. Come on. This generation needs to understand the power of a song. This generation needs to know what it is to be seen through strange places. And the only way they're going to know that is for us to lead them. Come on. There's nothing holding you back. There's nothing holding you down, sir. There's nothing holding you back, church. I wish to God we would respond. I know it's Wednesday. It's late and we're tired. But what would happen if this place would just begin to move in worship. Come on.